Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. We're in Genesis chapter 33 this morning. Uh, we're going to look at the entire chapter, but in just a few moments, I'm going to read to you Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. Genesis chapter 33, if you're new to the Bible, uh, Genesis is real easy to find. Very first book in the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay, because in the seat before you down the book rack, you'll find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up, find Genesis 33 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Now read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. We've been uh, working through Genesis together for um, quite a while. We're in chapter 33, which means we, we don't have much further to go. We're 50 chapters in the book, so what, another seven or eight years? We'll be good, right? So, but, but this has been, this has been. We love studying books of the Bible uh, because uh, when we study the books of the Bible like this, just chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we learn so much about who God is and what He desires to accomplish in our lives. And this has been, hopefully for you like it's been for me, just a great journey uh, through this fascinating and powerful book. And we have a fascinating story to look at this morning in Genesis chapter 33. So go ahead and be finding that in your Bibles, Genesis 33, verses 1 through 11. I'll read that to you in just a moment. I read a news article this week about um, a young man, well, actually, a uh, middle-aged man, he, um, early 50s. He, he, um, he went camping with his buddies. That sounds like a fun way to spend the weekend, right? So he got his gear, and they set out to go into the woods and, and camp for a couple days. And uh, so there he was. He was camping out, having a good time with his friends, and, and you know, getting late so he fell asleep and had a nice evening of just sound restful sleep and and then woke up in the morning to just all kinds of noise he woke up and he didn't see his his friends but he saw lots of other people like just a, a ton of people were just uh, coming through the woods and and he just didn't know what was going on kind of shocked him and so he wakes up and, and just you know like you would do if you were out camping and all these people start walking through the woods i mean what's going on why are y'all in the woods i mean this is supposed to be a private place and you know came to escape all of this and you're here why are you here well come to find out there was someone who was missing. And, and so th- they were walking through the, the forest to try to find uh, this missing person. And so this man who had had a restful night's sleep figured, you know, he needed to help out. And so, so he asked him some questions about what the guy looked like and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, so he began to, to join the, the search for this missing man. And, and they searched for a long time and they looked over here and looked over there and just couldn't find this man. And then, then he began to hear his name being screamed. Come to find out, they were searching for him. He was the missing person. And, and, and then when they, he found out they were looking for him, he tried to tell them, hey, it's me. I'm, I'm right here. I'm, not, I'm actually searching for me too. I'm right here, right? And, 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 and they didn't believe it was him. They, and then they finally found his friends who vouched for him. So what had happened was that night before, um, they were having a good time by the campfire, and he, he drank a little bit too much. And so he wandered off into the woods by himself and, and found him somewhere to sleep by himself. And his friends got nervous, and they did what all good friends do when your friend is missing. They didn't call the cops. They called his wife. <laughs> and so, you know, his wife, like every good wife, I guess, got a little bit concerned, and she called the cops. And, 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 and yeah, can, can you imagine 
the conversation that took place that night when he got home, right? I, I would just assume that, that he probably spent a couple of nights on the couch and just has some explaining to do, right? So, so I tell you that story just as a reminder that I, I bet you every one of us in this room, uh, uh, we, we've, we've done some dumb things, right? And, and if you're married, you've probably done some things that at some point or another in your marriage have, have justified you maybe spending a night on the couch, uh, we've all done it. We've all said things or done things that weren't wise in the moment. And, and those things that we said or did probably caused some relational damage. I think back on this past year and a half, you know, we've been in a pandemic and the world's gone nuts. I mean, everybody, every, you're crazy, I'm crazy, we're all crazy. It's just happened. We all became crazy this past year. And so, so what's happened over the past year or so is that, that I bet you you've taken a stance on something, haven't you? Uh, we don't have to talk about which stance is. That's not the point. But you've taken a stance. And I don't want to know what your stance is right now. I got you. I got one too. We all got a stance. And I, and I bet you you have, you, have, you have stood your ground on a particular stance over the past year, haven't you? Whether it has been the, the social distance or not social distance, to get a shot, to not get a shot, to vote this way or not vote this way, you, you have your stance and you're, you're entitled to have your stance. But I bet you, I bet you for some of us, what's happened as we've taken our stance this year and dug in, we've probably, whether we realize it or not, because I know I have, we've probably along the way have said something because we were so dogmatic about our stance that we probably said something that hurt somebody. Or, or maybe somebody said something to us that hurt us because we've been so just focused on taking our stance on whatever the case may be. And I, I bet you, even over this last year, some of us, because of, of whatever, we've probably caused some relational damage. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was something else. Maybe this week in your home, you did it again. You said something to your wife that you knew when it came out of your mouth, it was the wrong thing to say, but yet you said it. And now here you are in church on Sunday morning and you, your wife, she's sitting over here and you're sitting over here and it's just not a good day, you know? I mean, we've all done it. We've all said things. We've all done things that have caused some relational damage. Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it was years ago. You had a, a buddy, a friend, and, and something happened in that relationship. And, and you did something. You said something. And you shouldn't have said it. You, and now here you are 20 years later, and you haven't talked to that friend since. Let, let's just be honest. All across this room, there are those of us who have some damaged or broken relationships. But God is the God of reconciliation. God gave his son Jesus for you and for me to put us in a right relationship with himself. And God is serious about you and about me making relationships right. Those relationships that we've damaged, those things that we've said, he, he's, he's big on us making things right with people that we've wronged. In fact, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is really clear. He says, hey, if you go to worship and you're there before God and you're offering your worship and you remember that you offended someone, you remember that you wronged someone, get up, leave, and go find that person and make it right and then come back and worship. God is serious about us making relationships right. The story we're looking at this morning in Genesis chapter 33 is a story of making a relationship right. And this is an interesting, really an incredible story. And I think this story is going to be helpful for us because, again, this is relatable. Most of us in this room, uh, we, we right now are, are, are thinking about some, some relationships that we have that are damaged. 
And we need uh, this instruction that's going to come from the word of God this morning. In fact, it's my prayer that as a result of what we talk about this morning, that, that maybe some of us will leave this place this morning and we'll go home and we'll make a phone call. And we'll say to somebody, hey, we need to get together this week. I got some things to talk to you about. And maybe even this week, there will be some of us in this room that take some steps towards reconciling some relationships that have gone wrong. This is an incredible story. And so I want to show you from the story in Jacob's life, I want to show you two truths that I think are going to help you to reconcile some relationships in your own life. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 33. We're going to look, again, look at the whole chapter, but I want to read to you verses 1 through 11. Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Beginning in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming toward him with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two slave women. He put the slaves and their children first, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he asked, who are these with you? And, and Jacob answered, the children God has graciously given your servant. And the slaves and their children approached him and bowed down. Leah and her children also approached and bowed down. And then Joseph and Rachel approached and bowed down. So Esau said, what do you mean by this whole procession I met? To find favor with you, my Lord, he answered. I have enough, my brother, Esau replied. Keep what you have. And, but Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor with you, take this gift from me. For indeed, I have seen your face and it is like seeing God's face since you have accepted me. Please take my present that, my, that was brought to you because God has been gracious to me and I have everything I need. So Jacob urged him until he accepted. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for a time in your word together. Thank you, Father, that, that um, you are reconciling God. You have reconciled us to yourself through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Father, you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. You desire for us to be a people who make right the things that we've wronged, uh, to seek forgiveness, uh, to be honest, to confess before others uh, maybe the way that we've caused some damage in some relationships. And so Father, my prayer is this morning that as we talk about this issue, as we look at your word together, uh, that your spirit would speak to us. I know you're gonna speak to us. Help us be a people this morning that respond to your word in faith, trusting you, hearing your voice, and a people who are willing this morning to obey what you tell us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So here we are. If you've been with us now for the last few weeks, we, we've been waiting for this moment because Jacob has left Laban's house. And, and you know how Jacob's been. I mean, it, it seems like he's just left behind one bad relationship after the next. I mean, he, he left his mom and dad's house with a broken relationship with, with Esau. And the last time he saw Esau some 20 years ago, Esau, the last words he heard from his brother were, someday, I am going to kill you. You're dead spent some time at Laban's house and then left Laban's house to, to make his way back to the promised land, to make his way home. And, and he left that relationship kind of messed up as well. And so here he has been, he, he's been waiting for this moment now to, to, to confront Esau. I mean, he can't live this way any longer, right? I mean, he can't always be looking over his shoulder, wondering if Esau's out to get him. And so we lo looked at last week, this story of, of Jacob getting ready to meet Esau. 
how he sent him gifts and all kinds of things and how, how fearful Jacob was. And we looked at that story last week where it happened. There as Jacob sent his family on ahead and he was there by himself, he wrestled with God. I mean, a powerful story. And, and you remember that story where, where, where Jacob holds on to God and he says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Finally, for the first time in his life, Jacob gets it. That, that, that blessing doesn't come from conniving. Blessing doesn't come from deceit. Blessing doesn't come from always doing life your own way. Blessing comes when you hold on to God in desperation and say, you are the source of blessing. Your way is greater than mine. You are God. I am not. And I'm not letting go. Just that powerful story of of Jacob being changed and and God changing his name to Israel. In that moment, in a sense, Jacob was a a new man. Now we're going to see in the story that while he's a new man, he still makes some dumb choices here and there like we all do, but but still he's finally getting it that that's about God, not about him. And then there's this interesting verse in chapter 32 that we didn't spend much time looking at last week, but I want to show it to you before we get into the story in chapter 33. Look at what it says in, in, in verse 30 of chapter 32. Jacob then named the place Peniel. Listen to what it says, so good. For I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. Isn't that wild? Jacob understands. I mean, he, he wrestled God. He fought God. And, and when you fight God, you don't win. I mean, what Jacob deserved in that moment when he was fighting God is he deserved to die. Because of all the ways he had rebelled against God, because of all the ways he had deceived and connived, Jacob deserved, deserved nothing good like you and I apart from Christ. We deserve nothing good. What Jacob deserved what was, was death. He deserved for God to have his way with him and give him judgment. But that's not what happened. And Jacob realizes it. He says, I've seen him. I've seen God face to face and, and he spared me. I didn't die. I didn't get death. I I didn't get judgment. Instead, I got grace. I've got a limp I'm walking around with now, but but I got grace. I'm I'm not dead. I'm alive. Jacob had been changed and humbled in the presence of God. He realized who God was, and it wasn't about Jacob anymore. It was about God. And God had promised him a couple times now that God was going to be with him. He was going to bring him back into the promised land, and he was going to protect him. And so now here we are. And Jacob's ready. He's ready to go and, and, and meet his brother. So he crosses over and he gets his family and he lines them up. And this is kind of odd and weird, I know, but this is what he does. He, he lines with his family. First, he, he puts his two wives, the slave wives, remember them? That convoluted story we read several weeks ago. He, he puts those two wives that Leah and Rachel had given him up front, some of their children. Then he puts Leah next. And in the back of the line, he puts Rachel and Joseph, his two favorites. So that if Esau comes out with 400 men and he begins to take people down, maybe they'll have a chance to get away and escape. I mean, it's kind of weird, but that's just what he does. But then look what it says. After he had ordered everyone up, look what it says, verse three in chapter 33. Jacob himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. Now, just think about this. This is not what we're expecting because for all of Jacob's life, Jacob has been a man who has made the decision that he's not bowing to anyone. 
I mean, he's stolen the birthright, stolen the blessing because his mama had a promise from God that someday, someday his older brother Esau would bow to him and serve him. Jacob hasn't bowed to anyone. Jacob has been doing everything in his power to prove that he's the top dog. He's done everything in his power to get what he wants out of life. He's done everything in his power to prove that he's the man. But now you see Jacob doing something that we haven't seen Jacob do before. He's bowing. Esau's coming. And Jacob bows. And he gets up. He walks a little bit further. He bows again. And he gets up. He walks a little further. And he bows again. And he gets up and he walks a little further and he bows again seven times. He bows before Esau. This is not what we're expecting when you consider who Jacob was and and how much of his life he has spent fighting to get ahead and to prove who he was. But something had happened. Jacob, when he wrestled with God, had experienced grace. Jacob, when he wrestled with God, had come finally to the conclusion that it wasn't about him. The way you get blessing isn't by conniving and deceiving and going after your way. The way you get blessing is to hold on to God, to follow him by faith, to do what he wants you to do. And when Jacob, I think, begins to realize that that, that it's all about God, all of a sudden he also realized it wasn't all about him. And, And here's the reality for you and for me, that when we are humbled by God, when we recognize that life isn't about us, but it's about him, it's not about our way, but his way. And when we humble ourselves before God, when we bow before God, bend the knee to him and say, you are Lord, when we are willing to do that, we will also, watch this now, bow to others as well. Right? You remember Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't consider yourselves more significant than others, but instead, humble yourselves before others. And this is what Jacob does. And why wouldn't he? He had received much grace. Now that he received grace, who was he to not extend grace to Esau, to bow before him? And when you've experienced grace, who are you to not extend grace, right? To humble yourselves before other people. And and let's just be honest and and come in real close and just think about this for a moment this morning. The, The reason why some of us struggle in relationships, the reason why we have a hard time reconciling relationships is because of this first truth. Watch, we're not willing to swallow our pride. And what reconciliation requires is reconciliation requires you to swallow your pride, to say, it's not about me, that I am not the most important person on the face of the earth. It is about God. And life always works best when I honor God, when I worship him and when I follow him in obedience, right? So, so that takes you swallowing your pride because here's what happens. When you find yourself in a relational mess, when you've said that thing you shouldn't have said, when you did that thing you shouldn't have done that caused some damage in that relationship that once was a dear relationship to you, what do you start to do? You start to blame, right? That's how we respond. We blame it. It's not my fault things are messed up. I mean, I, I don't know what I did. I mean, if you think about it, Jacob could have blamed Esau. I mean, after all, Esau didn't want his birthright to begin with. He, he sold it uh, to Jacob. And, and Esau was the one who said, I'm gonna kill you. I mean, that's not nice for somebody to say. And so, so Jacob could have very easily put all the blame on Esau. The reason why this relationship is so messed up 
It's all Esau's fault. Blame. And I bet you've done that too, haven't you? You think about some relationships in your life that have gone awry, that aren't where they need to be, and you start blaming. Well, you don't know what she did to me. You don't know what he said to me. You don't know how that person treated me. And and you never stop to admit that you probably did some wrong too. You're quick to blame and you're also quick to defend yourself. You know what I'm saying? So that's what happens oftentimes in in broken relationships. Instead of taking responsibility and humbling ourselves, right? We blame or or we avoid. You've done that before too, haven't you? That's why you haven't talked to that person in 20 years now. Because, Because you've been avoiding it. You don't want to deal with it. You've you've gone on with life as if it never happened, but it did. And what happens when you avoid is you get to a point, don't you? That you start to ask the question, what if? What if I would have asked forgiveness? What if I would have taken a step towards reconciliation? What if I would have humbled myself? Because here's what's happened. You've avoided it and you probably now have some regret. You wish you would have. You wish you would have made that phone call. You wish you would have gone to Starbucks and had that coffee and talked it over, but you didn't. Instead, you blamed and you avoided. And that's what happens. And and all of that, what it demonstrates is, is a lack of willingness on your part and my part to do what? To swallow our pride and humble ourselves before those that we're in relational conflict with and say, you know what? I need to confess some things to you. And I just want to tell you this morning, if, if you are in some relationships that are broken, instead of blaming and avoiding, there is a better way, a much better way, a path to, to where you see God at work in, in your life and in that relationship again. There's a better way. Yesterday, Stacy and I, yesterday or maybe it was Friday, we went and we were, we were shopping for a new Christmas tree because the Christmas tree that we have, it's, 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 it's eight or nine years old now. We've had it for a while and it's, you know, gotten to that point where, you know, you, you set it up and you plug it in and you don't know what lights are going to work and what lights aren't going to work. We've restrung it about 45 times now. And so, so it's just time to buy a new Christmas tree. And so in our house, we have these nine foot ceilings, probably like many of you do. And so we want a nine foot tree because we want the top of that tree touching the ceiling. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so that's what we want. And so, so we, we started looking for Christmas trees and we went Friday to BJ's because BJ's had this nine foot tree, beautiful tree. And, and, you know, in our house, I mean, Stacy and I, she doesn't mind if I'm tacky on the outside, but on the inside, uh, she wants it nice and traditional. She likes those, those white lights, which I think are terrible. And so, so we found this tree at BJ's. It's got one of those foot pedals. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you can, you can, you know, Make it wide or make it colorful, make it twinkle, make it whatever, right? And so it's great. So there's this nine foot tree at BJ's and, and, and the price I thought was a pretty good price. Uh, it, it was $300. Well, that's not a bad price for a nine foot tree. And I mean, it was not only a nine foot tree. I mean, it was, it was big, like it was, it was huge. It's, it's like you, you couldn't put your arms around it kind of big. I mean, it, it would take up the whole living room. And that's the kind of tree we need in our house. And so, so we're sitting there having this argument. I mean, this conversation about this tree in our house because, because Stacy says, we can't get that tree. It's way too big. And I'm thinking, exactly, we need this tree. And so, so, so because, you know, because I'm a good husband, I mean, I, we left and didn't get the tree and Stacy didn't want the tree, so we didn't get the tree. And so, so we went to Lowe's to try to find a compromise 
instead of buying this gigantic nine foot tree. And so we're there at Lowe's and you've probably been to Lowe's already this Christmas season and there's trees everywhere. They've got seven foot trees, nine foot trees, 12 foot trees. And, and so we were looking at these nine foot trees and then they were all nice trees. But then, then there's this tree, nine feet of glory, right? I mean, the, the tree we were looking at, BJ's, it, it had a thousand lights on it. That's a lot of lights. This tree at Lowe's, nine feet, three thousand lights. I counted every one of them. I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? So 3,000 lights. And, and, and when you look at all the other trees there at Lowe's, and then you see this tree, I mean, it, it is unmistakable that, that this tree, I mean, it, it uh, literally outshines the rest of the trees. I mean, I need this tree in my house. You understand? And so I'm looking at this tree. It's got the foot pedal and all that kind of stuff as well. I mean, uh, it'll sing songs to you, all kinds of crazy stuff. And so, so, so I, I look at the price tag. <laughs> $650. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, then you add tax, another $20,000 to it, whatever the case may be. And so I'm, I'm looking at this, tra- and, and we can't do it. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I want a big Christmas tree, but I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I can't justify, I can't justify buying a $650 Christmas tree. I know that, right? I, I get that. And then Stacy, my lovely wife, while I'm over here, you know, lusting after this tree, she looks at me and she says to me, this, verbatim, these are her words. I'm not making this up. This is what she says to me. Not, I mean, I'm, I'm a preacher. I wouldn't lie to you. This is what she says, right? <laughs> she looks at me and she says, you have a heart problem. <laughs> a heart problem. A heart problem. Like a vile sinner heart problem. When all I want to do is bless my family with a Christmas tree. All I want to do is celebrate fa-la-la-la-la, right? All I want to do is celebrate Jesus big. You know what I'm saying? But, but what she says is you have a heart problem. Now, she didn't mean it the way it came out. What she was saying, and she later explained it, and we got it all worked out, and, and we still love each other and all that kind of stuff, right? What she, what she was trying to explain was you've seen it. You've seen something better. And when you see something better, you can't go back. You see what I'm saying? When you experience something better, you can't go back. Your heart longs for what's better. We didn't buy the tree, nor are we going to buy the tree. But my heart longs for what's better. That's what happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Your heart longs for what's better. And what's better is not staying in broken relationships. You know better. What's better, what God desires is for you to take steps of reconciliation because God has reconciled you to himself. What he longs for you to do is to live in reconciliation with others. So that's what's better. And so I would just suggest to you, if you're in some broken, damaged relationships, I just want you today to ask yourself four questions. Four questions, just real quick before we get back to the story. One, and this is the question we don't want to ask. What did I do? You want to blame. You want to put it all on that other person, but the likelihood is you contribute too. And just being honest, right? And, and confessing, yep, I messed up too. I made some mistakes in this. I said something I shouldn't have said. I acted in a way I shouldn't have acted. Not only what did I do, but ask this question, what has God done? 
Well, you know what God's done. If you're a child of Jesus, you know exactly what he's done. He has forgiven you of all of your sins. He has given you grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. He's brought you into a relationship with himself. And if the God of all creation has extended such amazing and marvelous grace and mercy to you, who are you to withhold that from somebody else? You see what I'm saying? When you understand what God has done for you, that becomes the motivation for you to reconcile with others. So what did I do? What has God done? And what can I do right now? What can I do? You know what you can do. When you leave this place today, you can make that phone call and you can say, hey, let's meet up this week. I got some things I want to talk to you about. What can you do? You can confess. You can say, this is what I've done. This is how I harmed our relationship. What can you do? You can ask for forgiveness. What can you do? You can take that step towards reconciliation. And then one final question, what if I don't do what I can do? I mean, what if? What if you choose not to step towards reconciliation? What if you choose not to confess where you've wronged someone? What if you choose not to show grace and mercy? What if you choose not to humble yourself before that person that you're in relational conflict conflict with? I'll tell you what will happen because you know it. You'll always be asking what if. What if? What if I would have done it? What if I would have reached out? And you'll probably end up with some regret. I wish I would have. I wish I'd have made that call. I, I wish I'd have had that conversation. And, and here's why I know. If you take steps toward reconciliation, if you humble yourself and you, you treat that person who's wronged you or you've wronged with compassion and you try to work it out, I know that when you honor God with that, right, you'll never regret taking steps towards reconciliation. You'll never regret doing it God's way because it is the better way. But you will often regret when you don't do it God's way. You see? And so for some of us this morning, it is a matter of swallowing our pride. But let me show you something else in the text. This is, we're gonna spend a few minutes here and we gotta go fast, but listen, this is really amazing. Jacob swallows his pride. Now, Jacob doesn't do things perfectly. We're gonna see that in the story, but, but look, this is not what Jacob expected. But Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him and kissed him and they wept. I mean, I, I can't help but think about this. And I, I don't know if Jesus was making a connection with this in and, and the Gospels when he told the story in Luke chapter 15. But in, in some ways, this does kind of sound like the story of the prodigal son. I mean, I know Esau isn't Jacob's father, but, but you kind of get the same idea, don't you? That, that, that Jacob's been away for a long time, making a mess out of his life. And he comes before Esau and Esau's there, arms wide open. It's miraculous. I mean, it really is miraculous, right? And, and so, so Esau embraces him. And, and, and then you have this conversation where, where, where Jacob, now, now think about this, for, for, for all of his life, Jacob had been trying to do what? He'd been trying to get the blessing. He took the blessing. He stole it right out from under the feet of Esau. But then here comes Jacob now with gifts. What he wants to do now is to bless Esau. I mean, because again, Jacob now understands the source of blessing. It's God. And so, so now Jacob is, is, is wanting to be a blessing to his brother as he tries to restore this relationship. I brought you gifts. But Esau doesn't want them. I don't need your gifts. I have enough. I mean, it gets even more interesting. Look what it happens here in verse 10 and 11. But Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor with you, take this gift from me. For indeed, listen, this is, this is an interesting line. I have seen your face and it is like seeing God's face since you have accepted me. You see, the night before, 
Jacob had been wrestling with God. And that morning after the wrestling match, Jacob said, I saw God and I should have died, but I didn't, he spared me. Now he meets Esau and Jacob should have died. I mean, after all, 20 years earlier, that, that's what Esau promised. He promised that he was going to kill Jacob. And now Jacob looks into the eyes of his brothers after his brother has embraced him and been so gracious towards him. And, and, and Jacob says, it's like it was last night. Last night, I, I should have died. And right now I should have died too. But in your face, Esau, it, it's like I'm seeing the face of God all over again. God has spared me a second time. God has been at work in this relationship. When I look in your face, it's, it's like seeing the face of God. You, you, you didn't kill me. And then, then Esau wants to invite him along with him. This is, this is strange. I mean, this is not what we're expecting. Esau says, come on with me. I'm a, not these 400 men, I didn't, I didn't bring them here to kill you. I brought them here to give them to you. I'm gonna give you some and, and they're gonna take you and you're gonna come with me and we're gonna live happily ever after. But then we get to the end of the story and the end of the story is gonna bleed in the next week. So, so I, I, we're not gonna spend a lot of time talking about this because I wanna show you this next week. But, but, but what Jacob does is he lies. See, Jacob's transformed by God. He's learning to walk with God, but he's like us. He still makes his mistakes. He's learning to walk by faith, yet he still stumbles and he stumbles again. He lies. I can't go with you. At least not right now, Esau. Just go on ahead of me and I'll, I'll catch up later. But Jacob doesn't catch up. He goes in a different direction. And that direction is going to lead him into the promised land. And God had promised Jacob that he was going to take him back to the promised land. But, but this is what's interesting and we'll get into this next week. He, he arrives in a place in the promised land where he wasn't supposed to be. And he sets up camp. But that's a story for next week. But here we are in this story and it is miraculous. Jacob was supposed to die. He was supposed to die when he wrestled God and he didn't. He lived. And he was supposed to die when he came face to face with Esau, but instead he was hugged and kissed. He didn't die. So the question is, what's going on here? Why, why does Esau extend Jacob such grace after Jacob 20 years earlier had stolen the blessing and then years before that stolen the birthright? Why doesn't Esau kill Jacob? I got an answer for you. I know this is a basic kind of cynical answer, but, but, but this is what I believe. You know why Esau didn't kill Jacob? God. That's it. God was at work. God softened Esau's heart. God made a way for this relationship to be restored. And I'm just telling you this, and you might believe this, you might not believe this, but, but whenever you choose to do life God's way, God is at work work. You understand? Now, let me show you something, right? So, so, so reconciliation requires first uh, that you swallow your pride, but reconciliation also requires that you trust God's grace is sufficient. Because let's be honest, in this situation, when, when, when Jacob and Esau come together, there is this miraculous reconciliation. It's restored. The relationship is reunited. But, but, but let's be honest, it doesn't always happen this way. What might happen this week is you make that phone call and you say to that person, hey, I want to get together at Starbucks and just talk through some things. And you sit down with that person and, and you try to be humble. And you confess, here's what I did years ago and I'm sorry I did that. And I just want to make things right. 
And what you might be met with instead of hugs and kisses and embraces is you might be met with venom. You might be met with someone who, 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 who just puts you down and curses you and all that kind of stuff. You know this from experience. It doesn't always work out like this. But I'm just telling you, if you do it God's way, even if it doesn't work out the way you think it should work out or the way that you want it to work out, it does not mean for one moment that God's not at work. God is at work even when the situation doesn't work out the way you want it to work out. And so what that means is that when you go this week and have that conversation that you know you need to have, when you sit down and you start to confess your sins and it doesn't go the way you think it should go and that person starts responding in a way that's hurtful to you, you know what you can do? You can't control, you can't control the way that person responds, but you can control your response. You can walk by the Spirit even when that person is coming at you. And you can exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you can stay calm. You can stay peaceful. Uh, you, you, can, you can choose to use your words well because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. You can't control how others respond to you, but you can always control how you respond to somebody else. And what might happen in the way that you respond, right, when you show grace and patience and mercy, when someone's coming at you, that might plant a seed in their heart that later on might grow into reconciliation. You see? So in that way, God is at work. You might not know how, you might not see it, but I'm telling you that when you walk by faith and you take steps towards reconciliation, God will be at work. It might not seem like it. In fact, in fact, it might happen that you go and have that meeting at Starbucks, you have that cup of coffee, and that person determines that he or she never wants to see you again. But in that moment, right, you can't control that outcome, but you can trust God's grace, because God is even at work in that. And you might never see that person again, but God is teaching you to be humble. God's at work in you to teach you to be patient. God's at work in you to teach you to love even when it's hard. God's at work in you teaching you how to forgive even when someone doesn't want to forgive you, you see? I'm just telling you, this is a wonderful story it's miraculous. And when relationships work out like this, when you, when you make that, that, that wrong right and, and you're able to bring two people back together, man, that's glorious. Just like it here, it is here in Genesis chapter 33. But it doesn't always work out this way. But just because it doesn't always work out this way doesn't mean that God's not at work because when you honor God by taking steps towards reconciliation like he's called you to, you will always see God at work. You see? And so what that means then is you have legitimately no reason to not pursue reconciliation. You have no reason not to do it God's way. And so right now, think, think about that person, that person you know you need to call. You have no reason not to. You've been avoiding it. You've been blaming. You've been putting it off. But why not do it God's way and see what God does? Because you do. You have every reason to do it God's way. I love this passage. Jacob says it twice. I should have died. I wrestled with God and I saw him face to face. I should have died, but I was spared. He looks at Esau, looked in his face. I see God's face. You should kill me. It's like looking in the face of God. You, you, you didn't. Can't help but think of the New Testament. Think about what John wrote in the Gospel of John in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, John writes, we have seen his glory. 
We, we, we saw Jesus, the glory of God. Or think about this. Let me show you this passage. You come over to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. John writes, and he says this, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. Stop right there. Jacob looked in the face of God and didn't die. He looked in the face of his brother. It was like looking at God. He didn't die. And then John comes along years later. I saw Jesus. I I saw him with my eyes. I I ministered with him. I, I touched him. I felt his hands. And he's Jesus. He's God. God, the Son of God in the flesh. And and when Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, he had every right to come and execute judgment. He had every right 2,000 years ago to come and do away with us all because of our sinfulness and our rebellion. But John says, that's not what happened. I, I looked in the face of the Son of God. I saw God in the flesh. And John said, I didn't die. Instead, what he saw was the Son of God die. He saw Jesus, the God-man, go to a cross and die the death that he deserved to die. He saw Jesus pay the penalty on the cross for his sin. He looked in the face of Jesus and saw the glory of God, yet John didn't die. Instead, because Jesus died for him, and then three days later rose from the grave victoriously, John doesn't die. Instead, John and you and me through faith in Jesus Christ, if you will believe that Christ died for your sins and rose again for you, you don't die either. You get life. Look what it says. He says what? What was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. John says it. We saw him. We touched him. And in him, we didn't find death. We found the reconciling power of God through the death and resurrection of his son. Jesus died in my place. He died in your place. He rose again from the dead to reconcile us, to bring us into a right relationship with the God who loves us, who created us, who knows us, who desires a relationship with us, and who now has given you and given me, by his grace, the ministry of reconciliation. You see, what God has extended to us he expects us to extend to others. So a couple of things we close our time together. One, maybe you're here and you've never placed your faith or trust in Jesus. Today will be a, a wonderful day for you to give your life to the one who died in your place and rose again. In a moment, we're gonna sing a song of invitation. And as we sing that song of invitation, you see two crosses in the corner of this room, in the corners of this room. Uh, during our time of invitation, there'll be someone at those crosses who wants to pray with you and talk to you and help you begin today a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, we hope today will be a day of salvation for you. And if you'll text the name Jesus to the number you see on your screen, someone will reach out to you and today help you begin a relationship with Jesus. Today, God wants to reconcile you to himself as you believe and trust in him. So today, let this day be your day of salvation. Now, for the rest of us who are followers of Jesus, you know what you need to do. You know 
But today, God is calling you to take some steps towards reconciliation. You know where the damage has been done. And you know what God wants you to do. And so maybe during this time of imitation, what you want to do is just gather in prayer and say, God, help me. I I know what you're calling me to. I know that I need to make an attempt to make things right. Help me. Help me to walk by your spirit. Help me to obey. Help me to respond well, even if the response I receive is not the response I desire. Help me to take steps towards reconciliation. You ask God to help you with that this morning and then you obey that. What I would love to, to, to hear this afternoon is that some of you in this room have made some phone calls. You've reached out. You've set up some lunch dates, some coffee dates to begin the process of reconciliation. You obey the Lord's voice. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time together in your word. Thank you, Father, for the power of reconciliation that in Christ, we are reconciled to you and you've called us to a ministry of reconciliation, to extend grace and mercy to others, to ask forgiveness of those that we've wronged, to confess we've maybe messed some things up relationally. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that we would have the boldness this week to take steps towards reconciliation, to make things right. And, Father, for that person who's in here this morning, who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that person would come trusting you as Lord. For that person watching online, I pray today will be their day of salvation. Father, thank you that you're gracious, you're merciful, and you're inviting us into a relationship with yourself today. Help us today to respond by faith. We love you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and rise your feet as a time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.